Hello, and welcome to Green Team of the Legendarium. We're a group of Legendarium podcast fans who come together to talk about books the main pod aren't covering. I am your host, Befuddled Panda, and I am joined by Kip Tan. Heyo. Little Red Book. Hi. And making her debut, Merlia. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is about romance in science fiction and fantasy. Now, before you stop listening to this episode, bear with us. We know that romance in books can be very divisive. Some people love it and others couldn't care less or maybe even actively avoid reading romance-centered books. In this episode, we are going to talk about why we think more people should give SFF romance stories a chance and not write them off from the start. We think there's value in these stories and invite listeners to give one of our recommendations a try. Um, yeah, because, you know, that one particular vampire romance book, you know the one, uh, is not representative of SFF romance as a whole. There's so much more. For this episode, we've got some general topics for discussion to start, then we'll talk about some of the common tropes we love and hate. Throughout the episode, we will be talking about many books, but they may not actually be recommendations. If they sound interesting to you, go for it. At the end, we'll give our actual recommendations for something spicy to read, or it may just be very sweet. Okay, warning, there will likely be discussion of some mature topics, but we shall keep that to a minimum and won't go into details. Okay, first things first. When we brought up the topic for this episode um, as an idea, several people on Discord requested that we differentiate between a romance book and a book with a romance. So here's an official definition for what is a romance book. There's a, there's a society called Romance Writers of America, and they say that there are two essential elements. There's a central love story and an emotionally satisfying and optimistic ending. Uh, a masterclass article says that these stories are aspirational, optimistic, and provide escapism. So basically, a happily ever after is a guarantee. Do you guys agree, disagree with this definition or have anything to add? So what I would say is that really to be classified as a romance novel, as opposed to just a book with a love story, it does have to have a, a happy ending. It just, nobody reads a romance novel to, to have some <laughs> horrible tragedy happen. Unless you're reading Romeo and Juliet. Uh, that's not oh, a romance. That that's a tragedy. Not, no, that's, <laughs> don't even get me started. I. <laughs> yeah. And when they say optimistic in that definition, they really do mean they end up in a pairing that's it works by either the end of the book or like the trilogy that it's part of or something. They get together. And that is yes. a definite has to happen sort of thing. Sure, it can be like a happily after for now. And then may, maybe later there's more strife and you get a sequel book. Right. But then that also resolves within the book and it's a happily ever after for a character. Right. So. Yeah. Like, yes, there can still be strife and chaos, but it has to have that happy ending. Yeah, now, I you agree. can have a, a really great book with a great love story that doesn't end that way, but then it's not a romance. It's just a book with a love story. Yeah. Even if right. that's all the book is about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I definitely think that romance books have to have a happy ending, a happily ever after. Maybe not so much a happy ending but <laughs> they need to have some sort of happily ever after where the two characters are together 
a lot of books that start that may be in a series that start off as a very heavy romance heavy book in subsequent books often turn into a book with romance as opposed to having the romance as central to the plot but the end of that book is usually always still a happily ever after okay yeah i think the the main part is aside from the happy ending it's that central love story because like there are a lot of books that have romance in it, but there's so much other stuff happening that's outside of the the characters who are in the romance. And that's typically the books that I read. But I I mean, when I need a pick-me-up, like right now, <laughs> I, I went to a romance book because <laughs> I knew it's going to have a happy ending and I'm here for the ride. So Green Team's biggest fan, Lady Sweden, she said on Discord, In regards to talking about romance, I think it's interesting to talk a little bit about what they add to our TBRs in our reading. For example, some level one entertainment palate cleanser to prevent burnout. I suspect some of the dudes that are skeptical on Discord to the subgenre have other types of subgenre books for the same purpose. So let's first tackle why do you think people are skeptical about reading romance heavy books? First, first off, uh, shout out to the Cradle Boys. <laughs> <clears throat> We're not naming names, but kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, why does romance in books get such a bad rep? What are common criticisms of romance under books? I mean, there's a lot of really bad romance out there. It's just, That's true. It's just yep. a fact. There are people who read solely romance and they buy it by the like basket like i'm gonna yeah. say I'm, I'm not trying to be mean but there are people by the milk there. crate yeah exactly <laughs> and well, they sit there with their okay i'm i'm gonna stop because i'm gonna i'm gonna get me um there are people who write like a hundred books a year and you're not gonna get quality writing a hundred books a year you're just not you know it's yeah but I mean, I, I read a lot of weekly comics, and each one of those little strips is not necessarily going to blow up anyone's mind. But together, a comic can be fairly insightful, and like the greatest examples of them, say, like, I don't know, XKCD can be informative and even politically mm-hmm. active. Um, yes. And romance, sure, maybe 90% of it is bad, and maybe some of the like most extreme bodice rippers are fun to read excerpts out of in college and make fun of. But there are well-written, well-crafted love stories that give me things that I can't find elsewhere in fiction. Romances are definitely one of the places where it's more okay to talk about deeper or more intimate emotions mm-hmm. that aren't like life and death struggles all the time and that have a, a happier and also like a more homey feel to them. These mm-hmm. romances often capture day-to-day activities of a normal, everyday person a lot better than most other kinds of stories. Definitely most other like popular published fantasy stories. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Marlia, what do you think? So I guess to think about the question, why are people skeptical about reading romance-heavy books? What If you put yourself in the shoes of someone who doesn't typically read romance, it's not one of us, when you say romance... What books do you think of? Captive Prince. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Danielle Steele. I think of Danielle Steele. Yeah. Danielle Steele. Nicholas Mills and Boone as a publisher. Any Mills and Boone books? 
I don't know if that's an Australian thing. <laughs> what else is there? Well, there's Bridgerton, which is really popular right now, <laughs> uh, by Julia Quinn, and I mean Nicholas uh, Spark, Outlander, like, The Notebook, Outlander, yeah. yeah, Outlander. Oh, and I've only read the first one because once you get past that, it's yeah, okay, it's just not good. <laughs> it's it's not good. Fifty <laughs> <laughs> Shades of Grey, I think is probably yeah. what some people yeah. think of. Yeah, which I I tried to read it. I like read two chapters, and I'm like, this is this is bad. And I think that's why people are skeptical of romance because it's just yeah. bad. I mean. I, and I think that's part of the reason the books that make it into popular fiction and then get a lot of a lot of talking about and make it into the media, they're not great. They're actually pretty poor examples of how good romance books can be. So that one vampire book that befuddled pet with that panda mentioned earlier, um, Fifty Shades of Grey, also made it into popular fiction and became super popular. But where you know that they're not really strongly indicative of the quality of romance as a genre i mean i think that's true for like any genre too right like there are definitely popular fantasy books where the quality isn't necessarily in the writing or the storytelling but there's something about it that captures readers attention and it's either like fast-paced it's fun it's not as you know heavy um and people just gobble it up um and I, I think there's something that we're kind of sidestepping a little bit, and I'll just bring it up. People, I think, tend to equate romance books with smut, right? And think that that's just all that there is for romance books. But in reality, there's really a spectrum. And I think, Kip, you you have some thoughts about this. So I'll, I'll pass oh, it yeah. over to you. <laughs> I, I have a thing I said, didn't I? You yes, you did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want to say that there's a misconception that romance novels are a euphemism for smut, but eroticism in romance is a wide spectrum with a variety of ways to handle, celebrate, or veil sexual content. Explicit sex scenes are more common in romance than in other genres, but I can easily list multiple non-romance books with explicit sex scenes and multiple romances with only fade-to-black depictions. Romance as a genre is not about the level of sex displayed on screen. It is about the level of interpersonal intimacy that you get to see between two characters. Mm-hmm. 100%. And there's definitely there's a difference between erotic fiction and romance. There absolutely yes. is. Uh, oh, erotic yes. fiction can be a subset of romance, and it can also just be a subset of fantasy, because there's a lot of erotic fiction without happily ever afters, or <laughs> I assume there are. I don't really know. <laughs> i assume there are i mean probably because because i i have at least seen like spoiler listings of ao3 and i know that character death is one of their spoilers oh dear. one of their like tags you can put on things okay for people who don't know what ao3 is it, can you just explain a little bit so ao3 is called archive it's archive of our own ao3 is the acronym and it is, I think it's the largest internet repository of fan fiction writings. I think it is, yeah. Yeah, it, it's pretty influential on romance as a genre, and especially on para, on uh, sci-fi and fantasy romance as a genre. A lot of published authors have come out of writing AO3 fan fiction, including, I think, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes. Yes, yes. It, was. it was. It was that vampire books mm-hmm. fanfic. 
So actually, Kev, you did bring up something, which is like there is a lot of fanfic romance that is SFF. So what makes what do you guys think makes the science fiction and fantasy romance different from other types of romance? Because there's definitely like contemporary romance, historical romance. What do you think makes SFF romance different, special or valuable? Magic. I, I, I will always defend things with magic and advanced technology in them as ways to convey <laughs> ideas that aren't otherwise possible. Yeah, I will always defend that. What would be I mean, like one of your main defense? It it gives a level of remove for certain experiences that maybe is helpful in portraying the story as comfort instead of drama. You can have something as dark as like the Broken Earth series. And because there's a bit of science fiction veneer over that, it's not exact. It's not a direct representation of any real life issues on Earth. It is its own completely invented secondary world. There's no direct connections, but what you see in the humanity of each story that transfers along. You get you still get these human moments, and you get these human emotions and pains and joys, but you don't get like oh this is what happened to me last Tuesday because, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, there's no geomages that happened to you last Tuesday. <laughs> I don't get the reference, but eventually I will when I read the series. <laughs> that, I, I don't I, know I about could, you, I could, I could use, but... I could use any, any fully secondary world story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Little Red? Oh, I was just going to make a snotty comment about geomages. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But do you have thoughts? Because you said magic. No, I mean, because I like reading books with magic in them. I like reading books that don't take place on Earth. And it, it, so basically, I would repeat everything that Kip said. Okay. Except for the thing about Broken Earth. Yeah, Broken Earth is a heavy story. But it's made lighter by being in a secondary world. Mm. It's, it's made more disconnected from, like, your everyday life. Florida doesn't quite agree, but that's fine. <laughs> I mean, would you have rather would you have rather that it took place in like Antebellum South or something? I would rather have not read it. <laughs> okay. okay. But it's wait, let's let's clarify. Okay, so I'm gonna clarify because it's a very, very well the first one is the only one I've read. Very well written book. It's great. The author's amazing. But I also read it right at the start of the plague that we're currently in and i think mm. that that really affected my enjoyment of it long timing for you yeah so that happens yeah it, it does it does kind of take place in a world that is ending yes and it kind of <laughs> felt like the world was ending <laughs> when i, I read mean, the book it, it still kind of is but anyway merlia what are your <laughs> thoughts about what makes sff romance special or different I really like the way that SFF as a genre can take two individuals and throw them into a world that is so different from our own, where they go on adventures, go and fight battles, go and do things together. And it's the actions that the two characters have with each other and often with their surroundings and other people that creates the relationship and the the character development and the romance and the relationships that they build with each other which when you think about our lives as they are now we don't exactly go and say oh hey I'm just gonna take a horse and go you know spend three days in the forest looking for something <laughs> it 
just doesn't happen. I mean, sure, there are definitely people who can do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it's it it gives the the story an element that is more open to imagination, and Mm -hmm. the setting is a little. It's 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 a fantastical setting. Yeah. I think maybe what you're trying to say is it just gives the author more freedom to put characters into different kinds of situations and have different kinds of inputs to either stimulate the relationship or put pressures on the relationship, cause that tension, you know, maybe like a giant squid is coming at you and you have to run for your lives and that <laughs> causes tension and, but also a bonding moment for the characters. I don't know. No, that's actually um, a yes. really fun aspect of uh, pride, prejudice and zombies. Yeah. Is that Mr. Darcy <laughs> Smith Bennett start fighting zombies together. It's just fun. <laughs> I haven't read that version, um, but uh, the ladies of legendarium did uh, an episode yeah. on it. Yep. You know, I my backlog is so big. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just, and the reason why I use that as a reference is because most of us have at least some familiarity with Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. I don't think we can have a, a discussion about romance and fantasy without acknowledging, because we've already kind of acknowledged this, but like paranormal f- romance has played a significant role in like shaping the subgenre. True Blood was one of the most successful shows. Yes, it was. Yeah. What is it about paranormal romance do you think that is so appealing to authors, like for them to write about and for readers to read? Uh, let's go with Merlia first. Any thoughts? We're not going to say I the think- T word. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is an amount of familiarity that people have with the types of characters the races of characters that you get in paranormal romance so you've your vampires and your werewolves being the most predominant in that genre and you say vampire and there's a there's a picture that immediately comes into your head um and you say werewolf and you there's a picture that immediately comes into your head whereas you start going into some other fantasy genres and you know we start talking about certain races that an author may have just made up and it's a little bit less accessible to the wider population. And I think that's part of the reason why people who may be interested in reading romance as a genre will mm-hmm. be more likely to head into paranormal romance than they would to hand, to run into a fantasy romance as such. And I think that is part of the reason that makes it so appealing to authors because it, it can encompass a, a greater audience and their work can be seen by a greater number of people okay yeah a little red um i don't think i have anything to add okay i do like a good vampire novel and werewolves are cool <laughs> like, that's what I can I, add honestly that. i think that's a great point i think that is a great point red werewolves are cool vampires are cool these are re- they're cool archetypes that have survived multiple generations of storytelling they're centuries they're yeah centuries of storytelling these are folk tales like red is always telling us about uh they're stories <laughs> well, that are persisted the ages paper on this <laughs> 
and and like for one reason or another vampires are sexy uh in a lot of tellings and to a lot of people werewolves sexy they're a different thing they're like a primal thing instead of like a seductive upper class aristoc aristocratic uh <laughs> thing but they have their own like little appeal i'm not sure what ghosts say about people <laughs> well i mean fairies also and when i say fairies i mean like oh yeah you know. fairies Yep. Fairies are cool. Fairy, too. I mean, there's elves. how many? What? Elves. Elves. Yes. Elves, both both the like pretty kind and the dark and scary kind. And I think that one of the things that vampires and werewolves do is it addresses the the very real thing that there's sex is dangerous, love is dangerous. Does that make sense? Like, there's this <laughs> element of danger that is real because when you open yourself up in that way to somebody it is dangerous like they okay. can steal your soul like it's risky putting <laughs> yeah, yourself no, out it's, there it's emotionally dangerous not that, okay. not that you're gonna i mean actually, i mean in a lot of these books it is physically dangerous yes well exactly. yeah but i mean it's what i'm saying is is that those tropes touch on the fact that actually it, it's dangerous for you personally in an emotional way sure and that's I have, why we tell stories about that. That rich, well-dressed man who wants you to come into his uh, mansion might be a vampire. <laughs> or he might just get you pregnant and leave you yep. hanging to dry, out to dry. There, I mean, There's your allegory with real day life out of yep. remove. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think there's also an element of that whole thought process that something that is dangerous is or can be thought of hand in hand with, I, I don't know how to explain it properly. Dangerous is sexy? Dangerous is sexy, but also the thought of doing something that you're not supposed to gives you almost a very similar feeling to falling in love with someone, if that makes the, sense. The thrill, the, yeah. the adrenaline. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are two points that come to mind. One is like with characters with creatures that are like werewolves and vampires, there's this built-in tension because they are typically um, dangerous creatures. And, and so, humans. And has can, I, can, I, can, humans. I, can I just state now that I hate that romanticization? I hate I, that aspect sure. of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's totally fair for you to hate it. Like I will acknowledge that it's there, but I will hate it. <laughs> we can we can talk more about your hate when we get to tropes. Sure. Sure. But I mean there is that like shorthand for creating that tension, that drama that the the characters need to overcome. And also like the seduction of it. I think Kip, you were saying that, you know, for werewolves, but also for vampires, there's this very primal nature to these creatures. I mean, the romance it is a primal like attraction, right? It is a primal thing for humans. And so I think by using characters who people accept the primalness of, you kind of get past some of that, I don't know how to call it, like prudism, I guess, prudishness. And it's more acceptable for some relationships to be formed and like things to happen because it's like, oh, well, it's the nature of these creatures. I don't know. I hate that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hate that idea. <laughs> it but works. I think Panda's right. I think that that is part of it. Is it like does do something about barriers that maybe some people have? 
I think there's a critique that like modern men are not necessarily in touch with their primal natures anymore and <laughs> women want someone who uh, un- who oh, assuredly dear. is <laughs> no it, that uh, is a critique <laughs> yep <laughs> yep and, and i also i'm gonna disagree with this but <laughs> but it's an element that's out there and oh yeah and there's you know there's a certain I mean, I mean, the bear, the gay community has its rivalries with twinks and bears and all sorts of fun things like that. And that's basically, basically the difference between like the guy who's in a rom-com, you know, how that there's always the dude who's loves his business and then the woman goes away <laughs> to a town and they do a, try and do a long distance thing, but she reconnects with the dude from her past who like lives in flannel shirts outdoors chopping wood. And he's a um, widower. <laughs> yes, and he's a widower. Or a like child. some some unava- uh, unavailable bachelor. Yeah. But his table manners are bad. Okay. I mean, I'll just confess. Like, I love Christmas romance films. I love them. Okay. So what you just described, yeah, I'll watch it. Most likely. Yep. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff. And, out and then there. just add that he's the son of Santa and we're in paranormal <laughs> romance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've actually That's seen actually that one. Another one. Another trope I hate so much. I hate it. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's time to move on. <laughs> because we're gonna we're gonna talk about our tropes. Okay. So Aerodandis asked, uh, what makes a good romance? How is romance different than other relationships in books? And I think this is a good segue for us to get to our discussion of tropes that we love and hate. And you know, if we if we don't cover any tropes that listeners you love or hate, join us on the Legendarium's Discord uh, or find us on Twitter and let us know what we missed. But um, let's start with Kip. Kip. Okay. Which trope do you want to talk about? Do you love it? Hate it? Why? I feel like I've been dissing on a lot of things recently, so I'll go with the trope that I love, and that is journey to the center of the mind. This trope involves one person inserting themselves into the head of another. Done without consent or for harm. This is mind rape, but that's a different trope, not this one. But when it's done to heal, it can be an interesting form of therapy. It allows for the conveyance of detailed and nuanced concepts between two people and an especially intimate bond. In real life, it's impossible to show someone the darkest days of your life and have them understand it. In fantasy, you can just actually make that happen. You can insert one character into another's head and have them relive whatever circumstance you need for the narrative to continue. It's wish fulfillment for people who want to simply simply show instead of tell. It's a bearing of the soul and allows for both a vulnerability and a strength that are nigh impossible to achieve in real life, but can provide the foundation for an excellently dramatic grand gesture. I think the reason I like it so much is that sometimes I also think about what's going on inside people's heads, and it's a lot of fun to imagine what it might be. I'm also pretty bad at telling stories, and the idea of simply getting to show them is appealing. Some examples include Inception, Paprika, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and The Knight and the Necromancer. Something that's incredibly close to fitting into this category is Fun Home, where the narrator of the play is the adult version of the author who then guides you through their childhood and adolescence as they're reenacted on stage, including first romances. The the thing that I picked out from there is Kip likes to imagine what happens in our heads i'm kind of <laughs> scared <laughs> 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 
it's not just cotton candy in here, okay? Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. You're too good at spreadsheets. <laughs> so I really hate, really hate romances involving mind reading. I hate them so much. It just makes me insane. Because we all think things about people in our life, even if it's just like a fleeting thing, that we do not want them to know about. Because it's mean or you're mad. And it's not even something you mean. Like my kid does something annoying and I want to punch him in the face. And I think I want to punch him in the face. I'm not actually going to punch him in the face. And I don't really want to punch him in the face. It's the same in love relationships. Like if you have to be in your lover's head and know every single thing that goes through their brain, I don't want them knowing everything that goes through my brain. (laughs) That's not healthy. I have a question. Hmm. So for this trope, like, if a character, you know, sees another, not not their love interest, but like a different character and think, oh, this person is attractive, or I would like to get to know this person. Is, does that, is that usually how like tension is created between the love interest? So for Journey in the Center of the Mind, it's usually more like you're going deep into this person's psyche. Okay. It's usually like you're going, you're finding out what is holding this character back from happiness in more cases than most. Oh, so, so okay. not straight up mind reading. It's not, it's not whatever's going on in like the surface of your thoughts at the moment. It's, it's like uh, the person uh, is maybe comatose in grief and the other person goes in to help them work through their trauma. Okay. That's what happens most often. Okay. That's the, that's the kind of situation that I really like it employed in. Got it. So it is more of that therapist role than a yeah. telepath telepathic. <laughs> it's it's not it's not like everyday telepathy. This is like a fantastic voyage, but for the mind. Okay. Cool. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. And so I rescind everything I just said. Okay. <laughs> about your throat. <laughs> not about awesome. <laughs> So basically what I think is gonna happen in this episode is everybody's gonna say what their favorite trope is and then LRB is just going to be like, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) And if LRB doesn't, I will. (laughs) I don't don't have strong opinions. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh Which is totally fine because, I mean, I think what this demonstrates is there is such a big spectrum of tropes, even within the romance uh, genre. There could be something out there for you somebody who doesn't necessarily read romance but there could be a romance book out there for you oh go ahead journey the center of the mind some sometimes it's like the person whose mind is reliving the event sometimes they think that that event is why no one can ever love them and Mm -hmm. that is why they are permanently broken and then their love interest comes in sees what's going on and never once thinks that it makes them unlovable but is maybe mm-hmm. super angry at whoever put them in that situation. Mm. And seeing that completely different reaction to the events can sometimes help the person who was hurt move forward. Mm-hmm. And it's not even necessarily even something that like they were told or something that was done for them, but just by being able to shift their perspective maybe uh, really helps them out. Getting, getting another point of view. And being able okay. to share something that you thought would make people leave you alone forever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I like that. All right. Next, uh, Merlio, would you like to share with us one of your tropes? Sure. I had a lot of trouble picking a trope 
for my favourite and my least favourite because of the common tropes that are out there, there are things that I like about the tropes and there are things that I don't like about the tropes. And I think that they very heavily rely on how well the author can put their own spin on the tropes themselves. But the so the one that I've chosen as my favourite is your fairy tale retellings, but specifically Beauty and the Beast. Um, so everyone, I assume everyone, knows what the Beauty and the Beast storyline follows. But sure. why I like <laughs> reading these sorts of books is not necessarily because you've got your stock standard character who is Beauty or is your the, the who might actually be called Beauty or whether it's just the character that is to be in place of Beauty. And then you've got your your beast character. It's looking at the development of these two characters throughout the story. So I like the fact that these retellings generally start out with two characters who are not perfect, but they undergo development that is um, a result of the interaction that they have with each other. Uh, quite often the female in the situation, if we're talking about a standard male-female pairing, the females are usually usually quite a strong female lead who are not, are not afraid to fight for what they believe in. Obviously, it doesn't always happen that way and it depends on what the author has chosen to write in their version of the retelling, but I feel like that is, is part of why I like delving into some of these stories. But I also like the deeper level of love that these characters can experience, partly because in most situations, the main female character has fallen in, in love with the beast, not because of his physical appearance, but because of his personality and the actions that he's done and the way that he has proven himself to have changed over the course of the book because of the character and shown himself to be a lot more of a kind, caring, loving, whatever else character that he wasn't at the start, which was usually the reason why he was cursed in the first place. And so it's not just a demonstration of superficial physical attraction between two characters that causes them to fall in love, but something deeper. Um, now, bearing in mind that not all Beauty and the Beast retellings are well-written, and there are some issues with some Beauty and the Beast retellings, which I don't like, which yeah, a lot of them will take the element of beauty being captured by the beast to another level. And rather than have beauty willingly go to the beast She's captured in some way and we end up with some sort of a captive romance, which can sometimes border on a level of Stockholm Syndrome, which is not always the best, but, you know, it, it's captive romance is a trope in itself. And for such a simple story, these retellings are not always well written and it, it quite often relies on the author taking the trope and putting their own spin on it, putting a little bit of a twist on the story somehow to make it work well. Yeah, I think you... Uh, something you called out is that a lot of romance stories do tend to have strong female characters. That That is, according to Romance Writers of America, or Masterclass, whichever article I read, it is a defining attribute of romance, which is nice. And I mean, even now, though, like, more... Okay, let me just put it this way. More different kinds of people are reading romance. It's not just, like, maybe what you think of middle-aged women are it's not just like that demographic is reading romance like younger readers are reading You're romance right. <laughs> <laughs> i mean I'm, less I, romance I, than all of you 
I am not middle age yet, but eventually I will be. So I will be in that category. But at the moment, I am not. Uh, Kip is not in that category. So neither is Merlia. Uh, yeah, I'm the oldest. For sure. <laughs> but I mean, just just with between the four of us, like there's so much diversity already um, in terms of what we prefer to see in romance and our own demographics. Yeah. So I think it's strong female characters has been a staple, but we're also seeing more diversity being portrayed in romance-centered stories, whether that's ethnicity, sexual preference, a sexual identity, right? Um, which is refreshing. There's still a ways to go. Um, in terms of the the captive trope, captive romance trope, yeah, it's. I, I think there are some that could be done really well, but if it's purely captive romance trope, it does tend to be more problematic. I don't read many of those, so I can't really say. Yes, Little Red. It's a guilty pleasure for me. Like, Which I would never fine. recommend <laughs> a captive romance to anybody. <laughs> but here's the thing with, with it, and, and it, it relates to Beauty and the Beast. There's um, there's always an element of a strong woman taming the virile man. Which is almost like sexism in a way, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a different sort of sexism. <laughs> most fairy tale retellings have that element, yep. though. Well, yep. most... But they're being saved. <laughs> yeah. I think I think what I what I like about Beauty and the Beast compared to some of your other fairy tales, like your Cinderella or your Snow White, or even to some degree Rapunzel, apart from Tangled, which was a much better version of Rapunzel than the original. Depends is, on which is, version you read. <laughs> <laughs> it is the fact that the female is a much more integral part to the the romance of the story than it is just about this prince falling in love with a princess in distress. Right. Yeah. I like it when both characters are strong. Hey, maybe yes. that's just me. <laughs> no, it's not just you. You'll, you'll see <laughs> no. more, more to come. Um, okay, Little Red, do you have a trope you want to talk about or do you want to just react to our tropes? <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun reacting. <laughs> um, so the one I picked is, uh, I kind of picked two, but I think they're very strongly related. And that is um, marriage of convenience and forced proximity. Yes. Um, mm. It's most of us fall in love because we're forced into a situation with people. And I like court politics and that's marriage of convenience. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that's about all I have to say about that. Um, oh, that's fine. It's well established that like one of the prime necessities of relationship forming is close proximity exactly (laughs) that's what i'm saying like that's just that's just basic psychological relationship science yep which is part (laughs) of the reason why the captive romance works as a trope (laughs) gives like maybe i i I mean stockholm syndrome has zero scientific basis so that's not that's not what those romances are about But I've read too many Stockholm Syndrome romances. Okay, well, that's a personal problem. (laughs) So tell me Mm. which ones those are, and I won't read them. Uh, Bel Canto. (laughs) Okay, cool. A widely regarded, excellent book, but it has Stockholm Syndrome in it. I was going to say, but one of the things I really like, particularly um, Marriage of Convenience, is it usually brings in a lot of fun political intrigue Mm. into the story. So Mm. 
I agree. I I also enjoyed that trope, and it actually kind of flows into my. I'm gonna go with my favorite and my least favorite together because they're they're a bit related. So my favorite is enemies to lovers, and then my least favorite is insta love. So <laughs> enemies to lovers, which tends to also like tends to also be written with forced proximity, because how else are the <laughs> Right. And <laughs> form a relationship. But I really enjoy it because and enemies to lovers, I mean, it is exactly what it sounds like. Characters who don't like each other for whatever reason ends up falling for each other. And then insta love is people see each other for the first time and they immediately fall in love and they're like, oh my goodness, we're soulmates. The enemies to lovers I like because it's more realistic than insta love. It has that built-in tension, which I love banter. I love good banter. And that tends to occur when it's the enemies to lovers trope. Typically, like when you have people who just don't like each other, you watch the development of them learning about each other and getting to know each other. And that's what's the interesting part of the romance. And there's, you know, at first, especially if you're going into a book not knowing that 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 trope exists. There is that will they, won't they thing going on. I I enjoy that. I think there's within the enemies to lovers tropes. I think that there are. I mean, there's there's lots of young adult fiction that looks at this. So you've got your two two individuals who live on different sides of the land who are the land is always at war with each other, for instance. And for whatever reason, these two individuals get thrust together and they've just got this mutual hatred of each other because that's what they've always been taught to, to do. And I think that I, I agree the the development of those characters and learning about each other and learning that they're both similar in whether or not they're both human or they're both elves or, you know, they, they've got things in common with each other that they wouldn't they otherwise both hate have realised. <laughs> and they discover that, you know, they're both people or you know whatever the humanoid creature or race is <laughs> that is in the book they're, they're both being chased through a haunted death castle <laughs> together and they need to trust each other to survive yeah <laughs> exactly that giant squid yep. that i was talking about i don't know which book that is but i'm sure it exists it, it, somewhere. it's in girl genius I, leagues and it's mechanical <laughs> oh okay <laughs> It's also like 20,000 leagues under the sea, but there's no ram- romance in that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think there was. <laughs> but I think there was there is something that we've talked about but not explicitly said. Romance stories are character-driven stories. So if you really don't like character-driven stories, I think that makes sense why you wouldn't like romance stories as much. So just, just clarifying that, but I do enjoy... I mean, I enjoy character-driven stories. But I also enjoy like action, plot driven, court intrigue driven. So it just depends on my mood. And currently I'm in the mood for character driven and romance and banter. So Whereas I'm normally someone who reads for magic systems and <laughs> But he also <laughs> likes romance but, stories. So there you go. But I like romance. Hey. Yeah. I like a good punching book too. Especially yeah. when, because I like when the world building is, oh, hey, there's no homophobia in this world. That's great world building to me. <laughs> I mean, the that's bar is so low. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I will say about insta-love is falling in love upon first sight. Like, sure, maybe some people that really does happen to them. It just, it to me, is not very realistic. 
instant attraction, I accept, like I admit that does happen. I think there's a difference between instant attraction and falling in love with somebody that you've just met. I completely agree in that. Like, yes, you you can tell that a dude is hot immediately, but you don't immediately in your head have a five minute long session where you think, oh my God, this person is the one for me. Uh Like. Unless you're in a, the comic relief character in a Bollywood <laughs> film, like oh dear, yeah. <laughs> uh, any particular Bollywood film? <laughs> My name is. Ami- <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, there's there's a huge difference between insta love and instant attraction. But I find there's a lot of people who try and defend scenes as like, oh, it's not insta love, it's instant attraction. And I'm like, this dude just said that this woman is the most beautiful person they've ever met. They felt an instant draw to them, lost track of time, almost went to the bottom of the sea with their song. (laughs) This doesn't seem like normal infatuation to me. This seems like, oh, this person's going to be my wife in 40 pages. Are you talking about a siren? <laughs> I'm talking about I'm talking about someone who had some heavy siren theming in their introductory chapter. Okay, but it wasn't actually siren. No, it wasn't actually a siren. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I, I read romance for the character development, and insta love to me is just you're taking out the best part of the romance. So that's for me. No, I'm not going to critique. <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to critique you on that one because that is also something I really hate. Yeah. <laughs> I really hate insta love. I'm like not clear you can call uh, things with insta love actual romances. There's no romantic uh, story. There's like no romantic ro- storyline if they're in love on page one. It probably works for erotica. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I think if, you know, the tension building, the getting together part isn't the main point of the story. You know what? I think it works in sequels. Mm. Because at okay. that point, it's not mm. insta love. It's insta love that happened in a different book, in a previous book. So, well, like, see, by that point. That's not, that, but that's, that's not insta love. <laughs> no, no, no. relationship I'm saying that, like, the relationship can be written well in a book. If it happened in a previous book, if like the insta love got out of the way in a previous book, like but but the sequel is good, then I think it's a romance. But if it's Do you have an example? A civil campaign by Lois McMaster Bujol. That is so good. It's so good. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will it's I will a read that at some point. It is kind of it is really? kind of a rom com, yeah. It, it, it's I didn't a know Bujold wrote wrong. Well, she, she did oh, yeah. for this book. <laughs> okay, I'm sold. I, I will wait. How many books do I have to read before I get to a civil campaign? I think you could just read it, but couple yellow. I, you can't just read this one. You got to read at least like three before this one. Oh my god! <laughs> Isn't it like book eight? It is like book eight, but it's like it's the second book for one <laughs> character, books... and like you only really need two books from another character to get into it. So three books you need to read before this one. That's it. So like the first <laughs> two books, you can read like as we're getting off topic. <laughs> I might throw I might throw in a fourth ideally, but yes, three or four. Okay, we'll continue this conversation later, um, <laughs> listeners. If you're okay. interested, come to Discord or something. Because. <laughs> Because there's like some clone shenanigans. Okay, okay. (laughs) Moving on. Moving on to tropes. Uh, Merlia, what what is your least favorite trope? Talked about your favorite. What's your least favorite? My least favorite I have written down as protect the love interest, but it 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 goes a little bit further than that, and it is where you have two characters who we 
one will generally is the one that you're following. So the point of view character, often it might be split, but one will often have a stronger feeling for the other character. And they spend the entire book finding ways to protect the other character from getting into trouble, including from themselves. This this person just ends up being so self-sacrificing and so like, I'm not worthy enough to be with this other character that it just turns into a, a depressing story that ends up feeling a little bit more like a tragedy than anything else. Yeah. Remember, optimistic. Like, yes, there needs to be conflict, but I don't really want to read like depression or I mean I would love to I would love to read a uh, a romantic fantasy with like a healer and a tank of a DD oh, party. No. <laughs> I okay. It's that makes it super weird because I'm the healer and my son is the tank. <laughs> okay, let me let me put it this way. I think that could work. I think that could actually work. But it's because of the nature that a person is a healer and the other person is, you know, suicidal, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That's uh, pretty on the front line. Yeah. You've got the big buff tank and then you have the small cleric. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I can see that working, but I don't think <laughs> I don't think this trope really works often. I mean, sure. I think it gets all... really annoying. That's that's the thing. Absolutely gets annoying. It's like let the person be their own person and make their own decisions. Stop trying to like because I think typically there's also like miscommunication uh, trope in there, and I really don't like miscommunication tropes. <laughs> yes. Which is why you need a journey to the center of the mind. Or if it, <laughs> even if it's not miscommunication, <laughs> it's omission of vital yeah. information that right. they're trying to keep from them because they think yep. that it's they're protecting their love interest from the this information, which is actually very important. Yeah, and I can think of thousands and thousands of, well, not thousands, but you know, movies, books, miscommunication, withholding vital information. <laughs> Right. Screws everything up and it's all because plot. It needs to right. happen for the plot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not it's for like, the characters, but for the plot. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It does tend to be like it's so predictable because you're like, whoever is being protected, you already know what their response is gonna be. There's like no mystery whatsoever. <laughs> Very rarely. Like they're gonna resent the person and then they're gonna go off, do their own thing, probably get in danger, and then you know, it's gonna get saved anyway. <laughs> and then they're like, oh okay, fine. I was wrong. I forgive you. Blah blah blah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Oh, one of my favorite book series has this as like an ongoing theme throughout the series. So <laughs> But it's not the it's not a romance series. It just happens to be a thing that happens in the books. Like a little dose of it is fine, yeah. but the central part of it, no. Right. right. <laughs> cool. I think we all agreed on that one. <laughs> we did. <laughs> I already said what I hated, which is the mind reading <laughs> thing. But it's different than what Kip was talking about because it's like when you meet a person and you have destiny and there's mind reading because your no. soul, whatever. That's Insula by a different name. Yeah, and I've read a couple books. Anyway, you heard what I said. <laughs> I do not approve. <laughs> we do not approve. Soulmates are polyphobic. Yes, they are. Kip, let's go to you for your yeah. least favorite trope. My least favorite trope. Okay, ABO. I'm going to go there. 
ABO, also known as the Omegaverse, is a trope so specific it made its own subgenre. <laughs> it came to my attention when I saw some articles and videos about it and an especially litigious author who had attempted to claim ownership of it in 2018 to 2020. I then tried to read a sample of the works because it sounded hilarious, but I couldn't get through a single one. The first commercially published novel was released in 2007, and it's one of the most popular types of fiction on AO3. I think last time I checked, it was number three. <laughs> the trope is essentially defined as werewolf erotic fiction with strictly stratified dominance hierarchies with alphas, betas, and omegas. It originated in the 1960s fan fiction stories about Star Trek's Vulcan Ponfar, but it's come a long way since then. As an explicitly sexual trope, it's already starting at a disadvantage with me because I prefer my romance books to fade to black more often than not, but ABO practically demands that sexual tones pervade the entire narrative. The world depicted is one composed of aggressive, hypersexual, stereotypically masculine alphas and fragile, stereotypically feminine omegas, with optional betas that exist somewhere between the two, usually closer to alphas. Somewhat interestingly, gender doesn't have to be linked to any of those types. Uninterestingly, it often <laughs> is. <laughs> Even less interestingly, the relationship, the relations between the types is often chock full of sexual violence, which is often portrayed as natural, sexy, and unavoidable. I'm not going to enjoy a trope that normalizes the idea that some people are born to be raped slash owned. I don't mean to kick shame anyone who enjoys this trope, but it's 100% not for me. What kind of rabbit hole did you go down <laughs> Oh my god. It's the number three most popular thing on AO3. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> I need to go and find that now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Kip can point you to the, the litigious author that he tried there's, to read. There's a lot of genre definers that I did not even include because I think they're too filthy to say on this podcast. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. But yes. <laughs> That that's fine. That that's a a yep. separate. We've thing. already had issues with that. <laughs> so the romance book that I'm reading does feature werewolves, and there is the alpha, beta, omega, but it's not this trope, because it's it's okay. not that the alpha, betas, omegas are in the relationship. It's more of the alpha is in a relationship with a different character that is not a werewolf. Oh, interesting. So yeah, this definitely not this yeah. trope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, this, this has been very educational for me. So on that lovely note, um, everybody. Oh, no one has anything well, to say? I don't know what to say. <laughs> what am I going to say to that? <laughs> this is not for any... me either. Like, yes. you, you describe it, and I'm like, I don't want to read that. <laughs> okay. That's what I have yep. to say. <laughs> Um, I, I had it. Oh, go ahead. I had a thought about how alpha, beta, omega romance could work without going into that sort of level of sexual violence and that level of description. It, it's really disturbing. But yeah. It would then probably not be that genre anymore. It would probably just be a werewolf book, a werewolf romance <laughs> book that incorporates alpha, beta, and omega as ranks, but. It also makes me really upset because I know as a biologist that alpha, beta, like omega has absolutely zero basis in real science. And like the original study that caused that whole pop trend to exist in the first place was retracted. Wasn't there a kid's movie called Alpha and Omega? I, don't know. Um, I mean, that's probably separate. They're just Greek letters yes. at that point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
they are Greek letters. (laughs) 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 Like Alpha and Omega outside of this trope just refers to like the beginning and the end. And and also Greek letters. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But the like rigidly stratified society based off of a discredited piece of pop psychology about animals. Specifically wolves. Specifically specifically wolves that was like a misinterpretation that only applied during mating seasons anyways. No, no, I'm not here for that. <laughs> it really got under your skin, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, every time someone says they're an alpha or beta personality or says that anyone else is, it gets under my skin. <laughs> I'm Kid a dolphin. Very <laughs> Actually, I don't want to say that either because their dolphins do bad things. So <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> so, so do people. It's right. Fine. Yes, but I don't want to equate myself to the bad things that the dolphins do. Which Panda, now we're we all sure. When you said that, all, all thought bad things about you the second you Great. said you were a dolphin. Thank you. We were very upset. Oh, we're gonna cut this. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> we're gonna move on now. Great. So thank you, thank you for sharing your tropes, your least favorite and your favorite. And sometimes they we agree, sometimes we don't, and that's that's fine. Let's get to the recommendations because we we've now talked through like some of the things that we enjoy. But what what would you recommend to somebody who maybe doesn't read quite a bit of romance? What would be like a good entry point for SFF specifically romance? Let's start with Little Red. What what you got? Well, I've got one that is definitely a romance and another one that is probably erotica, not romance. Okay. (laughs) So I'm going to recommend Beguilement by Lois McMaster Bejold. Anyway, I'm not going to summarize it. I didn't summarize it. Read it. It's good. It says, girl abused by society loses her unborn child to an evil thing that strips life of all things within its reach. She is saved by a man whose people are sworn to save the world from these things. There you go. And then uh, the erotica one is called, it's called Mona Lisa Awakens by Sunny. And it is erotica. (laughs) But it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Is there like just, a general premise? So a girl who doesn't know who she is finds out she's a magical creature and she's like half the magical creature. And then she like gets reunited with her clan and then shenanigans. Shenanigans, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah, you, don't, you don't want me to get more specific. <laughs> No, because you'll recognize that that story is totally insulated. Oh, no, it is. <laughs> I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying if you're looking for something a little spicy. Which is fair. No shame here. Okay. Merlia, what are your recommendations? I tend to read a lot of young adult romance. There seems to be more of it, or at least I find more of it than I can find of adult science fiction fantasy romance. My first recommendation, I think, is actually quite a good starting point for uh, someone who hasn't read romance before. And it's Radiance by Grace Draven. Um, She is an indie author, so 
I don't know that her book is super widely available, but I think it is on Amazon and Kindle. This book is about two royals who are considered throwaways by their fam- their respective families due to their distance from inheriting the throne. And they are used by their families to create an alliance between these two nations. So it's that forced marriage, close proximity, romance trope. The only problem is that she is human and he is of a race called Kai, who are an ancient humanoid race whose sharp teeth, clawed hands and unmoving mother-of-pearl-like eyes make them really intimidating to look at. So this is a story of how the two of them make the best of the situation that they've both basically been thrown into, which is this forced marriage. And I think that the the core of the story is how honesty <laughs> makes for such a, a, a deeper relationship between two characters. Good. So no miscommunication trope. <laughs> no, definitely no miscommunication <laughs> could sold although i don't know that that would actually work for a ya romance because young adults are terrible at communicating (laughs) i'm saying Uh, i don't actually know too harshly (laughs) (laughs) okay maybe i mean maybe they haven't potentially had much experience uh, communicating the deeper thoughts because they're still forming I think sad. a lot of the I don't know. I've watched I've watched some TikToks that pack more into a minute than I thought possible. <laughs> well, yes, the, I mean there's the magic of editing too. <laughs> <laughs> editing and retakes. I think yep. I think where the YA side of things tends to come though with these romance romances is more so the fact that the characters are younger, mid to late teens, yeah. rather than being in their twenties or thirties. A lot of the fun of YA romance comes from the fact that that age group, just everything is dialed up to 11. Like all their emotions are so intense that it makes it fun to read the romance because like, it's just intense. <laughs> <laughs> when I fell in love the last time, it was a, a slow burn. Slow burns. That's, That's a different trope. And there's a... Yes. <laughs> There's a lack of context and comparison, which also makes it seem more impactful. Right. No, I mean, I I love YA fantasy. The first time you fall in love is always one you remember, right? Oh, I don't know if I've ever fallen in love. I know that's not oh. really bad, but anyway, we're not here to talk about my love life. Would you like to tell us about your love life? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Merlia, did you have a did you have another recommendation? I did have a second recommendation. Again, it's another young adult fantasy romance. Well, obviously it's romance. It is called The The Shadows Between Us by Trisha Levenseller. Mm -hmm. Um, This book has been described as a Slytherin romance. Now, I have no idea what that is supposed to mean, and I don't think it's actually been defined, but I think that the idea is that there's an element of darkness to it. I'm not really sure. Are the characters, like really ambitious yes yes so i think that's where the slytherin comes from (laughs) the plot the plot of the book is described as that (laughs) the main character her name is alessandra and her plan is to woo the king marry the king kill the king and then take over his kingdom there is a Mm. large amount of female empowerment that is 
you know, she is a, a person who knows what she wants in life and is not afraid to grab it. And there is a lot of yeah, she grabbed it. Sorry, I was gonna say it's an arrogant murder. No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> she grabbed his neck. Well, see that that's that. I mean. That's part of the thing because he can't. She she's not actually allowed to touch the king. There, there's 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 a whole element of the story that um, that goes into with there is a a small amount of almost I guess forbidden love that is within this story. But there's also a large amount of exploration of societal issues and uh, for a young adult book, I think it's quite good uh, exploration of not conforming to what society expects you to do. And that if you did things the way that you want to do them, you're more likely to be happy in your life. I think, Kip, Kip you had mentioned earlier in the episode, like, there are deeper theme, themes or learnings that we can get out of the romance books, other than just the fun, fluffy, optimistic adventure. And yeah. I think what Merlia, you're saying in this book, I, I, I think I'm getting that sense that there's um, that social commentary and also a personal commentary, the level twos and the level threes of storytelling. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm intrigued. And uh, it will be on my TBR for a while until I can get to it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it does sound like a fun book, but yeah, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, they are I mean, relatively short being young adult books and mm-hmm. yeah. sort of books that you can't put down. Yeah, yeah I like those. And you need those. Right, you need those books that just like capture attention, doesn't require too much brain power, but is still enjoyable and has something to say. And it's like a weekend instead of a month. A month. <laughs> it's not yeah. rhythm of war, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah. What? That only took me a couple of days. Okay. Uh, uh, show off. <laughs> but I did audio. <laughs> I don't read that fast. Okay, I'll move on to my recommendations. So I've got two. One is a science fiction one, and it's also a graphic novel series. There are only three volumes, so it's a it's a short series. It's called Alex and Ada. It is a male-female romance about a man who receives a female android for his birthday, and things go from there. And this is a little bit of, like, enemies to lovers, uh, forced, forced proximity, but it also takes the the manic pixie dream manic, girl manic pixie dream girl yeah trope and if it does flip it on its head which i really enjoy because i don't enjoy the manic pixie dream girl trope which that's a whole nother thing yeah it's horrible yeah um i was originally <laughs> going to pick that as my least favorite trope but uh, i would have gone on too long anyway <laughs> so this graphic novel series it is a bit more than just a romance it tackles the question of personhood and whether sentient androids are people, like what's the distinction? But the story primarily focuses on Alex and Ada. And I think I think people should give it a try. It's The art style is pretty simple, but I didn't mind it. It was really the story. And it's not, it's not going to be as like deep and in-depth as like um, do androids dream of electric sheep. But you get enough of the meat without the... The, the writing of Philip K. Dick. It's so. probably better and more readable. <laughs> anyway, there's a whole I'm other episode that we did about dystopians and utopias where we talk about that book. Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, Alex and Ada. Uh, and as a quick read, my other yeah. recommendation, um, I can recommend at least the first two books of the series because I'm currently reading the third. And 
I think this is categorized as YA, YA fantasy romance, but it's the Parasol Protectorate series by Gail Carriger. The main character is Alexia Terabody, and she has no soul. So it's paranormal. She's unknown. She's known as a preternatural, and these creatures are very mysterious. She's human, but more than human, or maybe less than human, depending on you know how you want to look at it. But there are werewolves involved and vampires. And I know what you're thinking, but no, it's not like that. <laughs> it's, it's a Victorian paranormal setting, which I also love. And what I really love about this the series so far is I really love the characters and their banter. I just love the sass. I need more of it. <laughs> Lev Grossman, author of the Magician series, actually blurbed uh, the series. And he said, Solus, which is the first book. Solace has all the delicate charm of a Victorian parasol and all the wicked force of a Victorian parasol secretly weighted with brass shot and expertly wielded. Ravishing. It's the one, it's the series I'm trying to get Little Red to read as well. I'm reading a lot. (laughs) I know you are. I know. I gotta reread Brightness Reef and I gotta reread Murderbot and... I I mean I'll give you Murderbot I understand but like after reading Dead House Gates I was like I need something oh, I light you. and happy and Ooh, yeah this uh, is what I got <laughs> no it I mean it's just not right now it's all <laughs> I just can't do it right now eventually I'll get you to read it I'm sure you will I mean hopefully I will have finished the series by the time you get to it because I started the series like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really bad at finishing series, okay? I admit it. Even like books I really enjoy. Don't tell the Melisand folk that. Um, I mean, I already <laughs> told them that I'm really bad at finishing series, but see, here's the other thing. With with Melazin, I at least have people that are reading it with me that's like encouraging me to continue yeah. to the next book. Yeah. When it, I'm left to my own devices, I'm like, oh look, there's another book. There's another shiny series to start. So I'm the opposite. Normally I read a whole series, but bingo is really messing with that. Because <laughs> I yeah. can only read one, one author. One author. And so there's like, I have um, the 10,000 Kingdom series I want to finish. And there's a anyway. lot. So like, would you prefer that books have cliffhanger endings that like you need to read the next one in order to get a sense of closure? No. Actually, I, I, would that help you finish series, Panda? Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, that would help. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's a guarantee, but yes, it would help. I often find okay. that... I've got to wreck that. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm always disappointed with cliffhanger hen- endings because I find that when I've got a book that finishes with a cliffhanger and then you go to the next book, they start somewhere else. You know, that's <laughs> that's true. That is very true. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, but I just, I just wanted to read what happens. I want a continuation. This, this book does not do that. <gasps> okay. Okay. Kip, what, what, what's your wreck? Wait, is it romance? Okay. It's okay. romance. <laughs> Give this me this wreck. Knight and the Necromancer. Okay. I've never I heard think of it. I've got that on my list. You start off with two points of view. You've got, you've got your knight, you've got your necromancer, and they meet together in a gay bar for the first time. And the knight is hiding that he is secretly prince of the kingdom. Like people there kind of know, but if you're new, maybe you wouldn't. He goes under an assumed name there. And the necromancer, he's just, he's brand new in the city. 
and he's preparing for a meeting with the royal family the next day but he doesn't know what the prince looks like. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> is this and the is the author identity A H Lee? Yes. Okay, I'm on Goodreads right now. And it's three books. It's a trilogy. I do not think they work well as standalones, but as a completed trilogy, which you can finish in one night, like I did, I think it works <laughs> great. <laughs> I have marked it as to read. It's now on my list. So you've got some like mistaken identity at the start because the knight thinks that he's just some like scholar based on his clothing and general attitude of not wanting anyone to sit next to him (laughs) (laughs) uh and then it goes i'm just gonna say this it's reading reading (laughs) on goodreads here the knight and the necromancer is a trilogy with satisfying hea at the end of book three happily ever (laughs) after Steamy scenes, yeah. adults only. <laughs> okay, <laughs> putting that out there. <laughs> oh. I think it's on the on the slightly more chase side, but no, there's some steamy scenes, sure. And that's the thing is, like, I mean, you yeah. can have yes, little red. <laughs> what red? I think that what you would qualify as chaste is. Maybe a little different. <laughs> I guess we shall find out. Look, look, there's there's quite a few like travelogues where like they they're like going from point A to point B and they're like describe the journey along the way. <laughs> there's quite a few of those. And there's also quite a few scenes where the necromancer does some truly awesome necromancy. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> one in, one scene in particular I still laugh at. I do want to add one. Um, that, uh, <laughs> recommendation okay. um, and that is The Fairy Godmother by Mercedes Lackey it's the first book in the 500 Kingdom series and they're all fairy tale retellings the first one is Cinderella I do like a good Cinderella retelling are there it's, is it adults only oh no The Fairy Godmother I mean, okay. I, would <laughs> I don't even know what I'm walking into here it's, it's not quite fade to black <laughs> But it's pretty close to Fate to Black. Okay. I think, you know, like, there are books, romance books, that have erotic moments. But that doesn't necessarily mean they are erotica. I think there is a difference. So. Sure. Right. And, and see, I got Mona Lisa thinking it was um, just a romance. <laughs> and then I started reading it. I was like, whoops. The Night in the Necromancer has some great, like, combat scenes in it, too, which are fun. I think more more like males would this be a good entry point for them i don't know for gay men okay for gay men (laughs) (laughs) if i'm gonna go for like my secret subtle uh entry point into romance i'm gonna tell people to read the vorkosigan saga and then like when they get to some books they'll be like wait this isn't this isn't space action (laughs) this is like (laughs) rom-com this is like on the ground wedding (laughs) what is going on (laughs) Wait, is this your was this your plan to secretly get people to read that series? Is this the, a civil campaign? Was this my plan? No, a civil campaign. Yes, this is a civil campaign. Okay. That that's the one that's like actually romance. I could say that maybe Ethan of Athos, which is earlier in the series and is actually a standalone, is also romance, but it's not a particularly good one. Okay. Well, I mean, Cordelia's honor. It was honor, good for the time. It's not Cordelia's honors is like kind of, kind but of not a romance, really. yeah. But I mean, there is a romance yeah. element to it. It's is pretty it strong. The one that's like twenty yeah. something books long. Yeah, this something like series. that. Like eight, 
Yeah, it's like 19 Oh, or uh, the Red Queen and... Gentleman Joel's like, it's around 20. Yeah. Sure. The Red Queen okay. and Gentleman Joel's is kind of a romance, too. I think Pretty it's going to take it's me kind, like kind of a romance. few decades. Yep. To- <laughs> Bujold is, is definitely very character-driven. I read Vorkosa again right after I read Malazan. I, you are a... I <laughs> don't was know like, how. This is this is this is lovely and light, and I I ripped through it in a month. And it was they great. are they're really not. It's not hard <laughs> reading at all. Okay, good to know. Did everybody give the recommendations that they wanted to? I wanted to say one more. Uh, I wanted to bring in Winter's Orbit by Everina Maxwell, which is a sci-fi retelling. It has an arranged marriage to start off the book. They're like, okay, this is just going to be a sham. This is going to be just, you know, something to cement a peace deal. But it turns into more than that. And I can't really go that far into it. But I, I will say that you have the prince, and then you have the what's basically a political hostage by, for, by marriage. You get into the past of both of them. And it's fun. And it's interesting. And there's some of my favorite tropes. And I think some things that could be done badly some things that really could be done badly but were done very well or around around like consent and agency particularly i'm glad you brought it up because i wanted you to read it and let me know what you thought before i even put it on my list to read so thanks okay my canary i do my my job of pronouncing woke or not woke (laughs) on romance books Oh man, I think that's going to be hashtag. Merlia, did you have one more? I have lots of books that I could recommend, but they're not overall general recommendations that I would put on this discussion. Okie dokie. Um, oh, I'm any... the only one who put out the erotica. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the Knights of Necromancer would be considered. So I wouldn't call it erotica. I would say it has some steamy scenes. Okay. But I would not call it erotica. Good to know. I mean, the covers of those books are not as... I mean, co- covers covers of romance books Terrible. are just... <laughs> They're just shirtless men, right? They're just shirtless men. Dude, where's my shirt? <laughs> dude where's my shirt maybe that's the other hashtag um <laughs> myth about romance books that's one of them <laughs> and it's you know what it's, I mean, it's pretty true i can't fight it the, the knight and the necromancer the covers at least the ones that i'm seeing do not feature men who are shirtless they just feature their heads so <laughs> their there heads their faces. It features their faces. I wasn't thinking the other one. I was they just have, like, they have clothes on. But you know what? If someone has chainmail on, that's almost as good as being shirtless. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if that's your thing, whatever. I, I don't know that I'd want to be wearing chainmail without a shirt on, though. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Good point. I mean, it looks like he has at least part of like plate mail on or something. And maybe a gambeson underneath. We'll see. <laughs> Okie dokie. Any last thoughts? No? Okay, good. <laughs> but seriously. I, I, I mean, <laughs> if, if anyone does, I have read quite a lot of the popular young adult romance authors. So if anyone does need more recommendations, then I'm, I'm happy to provide some. To our Discord. Speaking of Discord. Okay, this concludes our episode about SFF romance and just kind of romance in general. Did we convince you to give some of these SFF romances a try? Join the Legendarium's Discord and let us know. The invite link is on thelegendarium.com. We are also on Twitter at Green Team Pod. 
If you've enjoyed our content, please consider supporting Craig and the Legendarium via Patreon. Shout out to Horizon Brave for starting it all. Thank you to our lovely panelists, Merlia, Little Red Book, and Kip Tan. I'm Befuddled Panda. Until next time, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Also Twilight. Yeah. yeah that, and yeah. if you think well, about it, the story like between the two is exactly the same. Hmm? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> no, but I think Twilight came out of AO3 as well. Did it really? Yeah. Okay. Which is why Fifty Shades of Grey is like meta fanfic. <laughs> oh my god. I was trying to not say the T word. Um... <laughs>